Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today, we have local sports legend Carl English on the show to share his journey from Patrick's Cove to the highest level of professional basketball. English by himself. Dishes off. Martin, back short. English, rebound. English! Carl's story started with tragedy at a young age, losing both of his parents in a fire and moving in with his aunt and uncle. He found that basketball provided an escape and a way to focus on the future and deal with his past, as we'll find out. His determination and commitment to the sport took him from his small town to the mainland, on to be a star at the University of Hawaii, and then to professional basketball around the world finally coming back home to finish his career with the St. John's Edge. During our talk, he spoke about what basketball provided him, how he fought through adversity and injuries, and also how the game helped him face the challenges of life, both physically and mentally. As we find out, he's now sharing what we've learned through his new basketball academy here in St. John's called CE23 Academy. It's an amazing story. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Carl, welcome to the show. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's been a little while since I've seen you, but things have been busy for you. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been flat out, I must say. Coming back home, it's been, uh, it's been challenging at times, but it's also been very rewarding. It's been amazing. I know a lot of people have enjoyed having you back here and when you were playing ball with the Edge, and I went to a lot of games. They were exciting stuff, man. It was great to see you playing ball in your home court. It was definitely different, I must say. I think uh, I did a podcast yesterday as well, and I... I've played in front of 40,000 people, but playing at mile one in front of 6,000 and, you know, 5,000, I think the level of accountability goes to a whole new level. Yeah, especially when everybody's watching you. They all showed up to watch you, uh, watch you play. I, I guess that's the, the thing. Like, you know, before we get into, like, what you're doing right now with the camp and everything, which is, which is an awesome new venture, maybe we can give a bit of background for folks that might not understand how you started out. Like, I've seen the picture of you shooting hoops on the sign in your hometown, but give us a bit of background. How did you end up becoming a professional ball player coming from rural Newfoundland? I'll take you way back. I mean, my life uh, started off very rough. Um, at the age of five, I lost my, my mom and dad in a house fire. Uh, me and my brothers got separated. So our whole world literally got turned upside down. Um, I went to live with an aunt and uncle, uh, Aunt Betty and Uncle Junior. Kevin, Michael, and Peter went to live with Aunt Florence and Uncle Dave. And... Brad went to live with Uncle Gerald and Shirley, so we were all in different areas. And I think at that age in my life, I had no clue what's going on. I think it affects me even more now as I'm older and I see my kids and I've seen them at the ages they were and, and where they are now. And if you remove me and my wife, I don't know. If you remove either one of us, I don't know what they do. So imagine both. So I think that part of it becomes, you know, it never, never quite leaves you. But for me, growing up in rural Newfoundland, you also had, you know, the support of the community. You also had that really tight community upbringing. So that that was obviously a benefit and a nurturing environment for me and my brothers. But I found basketball at an early age. Um, I was trying to explain this when I did an interview last week. And I think the hard part that people don't understand is, is basketball became a way out for me. It became not only a lifestyle, it became like a really free and happy place. And I think as I got older, I understood that. Um, I think all this came back. When I came back here 
the Newfoundland, I wrote, I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got in, in really in depth and I had to try to first most difficult thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that would be, you know, let's release some of these demons. Let's get it out there. Once I started, it was, it was so overwhelming that, you know, once I started, I'm the type of guy I can't quit. So I couldn't quit, but it was like, wow, it was, it was really putting me back, really knocking me back because I was trying to get the vivid expression as possible. So the reader would understand what I was going through and then try to keep it politically correct because there's a lot more stuff happens that you can't, you can't really say either. Mm -hmm. So I think growing up then when I was seven and eight and 10, I think, that's when it started to just be, it first started out as just a happy place. You know, let's forget about the loss. Let's forget about the dead. Let's forget about everything I saw. Let's, let's get there. Cause when I get there, the smile comes back. Mm-hmm. Our character comes out. My expression is there. All of a sudden I'm confident. I'm, you know what I mean? All the things that make us successful. And then I started to become, you know, I started to have a little bit of success with it. So anytime you have success with anything, obviously it builds confidence. It builds your swagger, we call it. So as I, you know, grade seven, eight, nine, well, I start finding myself. And then I was like, it just became, every time I dealt with something, I turned to basketball, you know, because that was the way that it allowed me to get through it. It allowed me to recover. And I truly, to be honest, when I tell you basketball saved my life, um, because it just, you know, there's a lot to throw on anybody. And you think about in in the late 80s, like we didn't talk to no shrinks. We right. didn't talk to no doctors. We didn't, mm-hmm. like, let's not ever talk about this again. Yeah. You know what I mean? No Mental one. health was, it's still got a stigma around it today. And, but so back then it'd be a lot different, especially as a young when, man, right? When people talk about a stigma and I'm like, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. Because it was, you know, it was like, everybody kind of knew and they'd look at you and they kind of see and they knew there were certain areas you never go to mm. and it was never talked about. It was never asked, are you okay? You know what I mean? It was just different times. The love and support was, was there, mm-hmm. but it was never confronted. It was never open in the sense of, well, let's figure this out. Let's figure out how we can get past this. So mm-hmm. it was kind of on, on me and my brothers to figure it out on our own, which, yeah. Luckily, you know, we're all good. We're all successful. And, you know, I'm sure we all battle with our own interior inside demons like myself. So anyway, as I kept, as I kept going, it became part of me. And then I felt when I got good around here, it was like, that was my expression. That's all people knew me as. I was always defined as the, um, here's, here's Carl English. Um, amazing basketball player but he lost his parents at uh five years old so it was always what kind of defied me you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like my story is my story and i've been all around the world but anytime it comes it 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 is part of me yeah i think when i i just people don't understand like when i see the kids now even with school and they come in and we're um, like, I'm, family, I'm trying to push them uh, whichever way possible because it's a fine line here now, especially here in Newfoundland, but across the board, not just here. It's, it's with teachers, uh, it's, it's with uh, educators, it's, it's with coaches, it's with everybody. It's like a fine line between really pushing the kid to the extremes or, you know, well, let's not upset the parents and let's not upset the kid and let's not. So what I like to 
do is I like to work them as hard as possible so that they can be the best version of themselves. You know what I mean? A lot of times I explain this. Now I'll have different levels of, of training, but like I have an elite team and it's an under 14 team. And I met with the parents and I explained what, what it was going to be. And I explained to them and, and we're six weeks in and it's going amazing. The kids are completely bought in and so are the parents. And it's a whole different level of accountability. It's a whole different level of um, just working them in a sense that they've never been pushed. And now these kids have been playing basketball for four or five years. And, and I get it because there's, there's two levels of programs. There's, you know, there's, there's obviously all the fun things that basketball can bring, but then it's also trying to see what you can get out of this kid in a sense. My goal is to get the best version of that kid possible because that's what I always try to be. And what do I need to do to be the best version possible for our language every day? Mm-hmm. So when I talk about when I'm 14 and 15, like I'm playing every minute of the day that I can get. You know what I mean? If I'm not playing, I got a ball in my hand. Like I was to the point where I was compulsive. I was ADHD, but it was towards basketball. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, no one's going to stop me. I'm like, this is my dream. This is my goal. But then I think I was that way because I was cracked. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, yeah. I, I think I was that way because basketball made me feel so good about myself. And I was blocking out my whole childhood. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would play, I would get up eight o'clock in the morning and I'm playing till dark every, every day. There's every so many day. stories about the most successful athletes because it's that age of your life when you're, when you're immersed in it 1000% that makes you like that. Uh, there's uh, there's lots of stories of people coming from not, not from losses like yours, but broken homes or things like that where kids like migrate into it. But that's the thing about sports is that it teaches you that discipline that you might not get in other ways. And obviously you, you, you jumped into that full on. Yeah, but like I was doing the part that made it like when I look back on it, like I was there was no internet, there was no mm. you know I, mean? I didn't have a computer till I went to Hawaii. There was, um, like there's so many different things. I put on ankle braces. I'm wondering why my ankles are bad, but I played ten hours a day with ten fifteen pound ankle braces on my on my ankles. <laughs> I played, you remember the jump soles that were I out? had those. Listen, I was I played ball too, but not like you played ball, but I had to get every inch of height vertical I could get out of myself, not being that tall. Right, so yeah. my jump soles were made by four different sets of shoes. Amazing. I cut I cut in half. Jeez. I screwed and glued together and then I taped them around my feet. Oh my god. That were my jump soles. And I would jump up and down the road. And then like I'm sitting here and the rest of my body is like I'm 20 years old, but my ankles are like they're 85. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I literally need two surgeries and they want to use both ankles today. And I'm like, I can't, I can't let you do that right now. No. Um, so like when I say I'm, I was compulsive and I was training, there was, there was nothing I wouldn't do. It was mm. from running and, you know, running to hit like everything possible to become better. You know, like I... I used to remember tying my right hand behind my back and you know what I mean? If I went to the, if I went to the store, I had a basketball with me. If I was watching anything on TV, I was just had a ball in my hand. It's just all the time, all the time, all the time. Wow. We're here with basketball star Carl English talking about his career and his new CE23 Basketball Academy here in St. John's. When we come back, he'll share his journey from Patrick's Cove to professional basketball. We'll be right back. English for three. Well, Carl English has been the man tonight, Jim. Well, obviously, you got recognized, and then you end up 
in the middle of the ocean <laughs> in Hawaii. Yeah, so I went, I left and went away to Ontario to try to get recruited. So I'll give you kind of the Coles okay, notes. Yeah. I went to Ontario to try to get recruited. Um, I got up there and teachers were on strike. So I picked St. Thomas Aquinas because the kid before me, the year before, got a, got a, an NCA scholarship. Right. So I, just, I was like, I'm going to that school. Again, there's the, you know, the drive. But I was like, I picked that school and across the street, the public school was, was, was open. But our teachers were academics or was fine, but physical activity was on strike. So I waited and waited, waited, missed the season. And I stayed in school and I just met some random people and I was playing on all these random teams. And I went and I made all these videos and sent them to 150 schools in the States. And they're like, yeah, we want to come see you play. But they're like, we can't, we can't see. I was like, I have no games. So I ended up going, the biggest turning point was I went to going to Atlantic Cape Camps, New Jersey, which was across from Adidas and, and Nike Five Star. And I was MVP at that camp and everybody came over to watch me. And after that, I had about 50 scholarship offers. Um, and I chose Hawaii. I was going to go to prep school because I wanted to go to a bigger school. Um, and then we went on a tournament in New York and I lit that up like 40 something. I was playing against all these guys going to, you know, big schools. So Hawaii was still there. And I was like, let's go out there on a visit. I was like, I'm never going to get to Hawaii here. I'm coming from Newfoundland. Like the second plane ride I had was when I left Newfoundland to go to Toronto. I was like, let's go, let's go to, let's go to Hawaii and, and check it out. And when I got there, it was amazing. And, and the rest is history. Wow. Wow. I mean, and just, for, you know, when you played there, you were one of the leading scorers in the Pac-10, right? Yeah, we were. Uh, so I, my first year was a bit rocky. So I was, uh, again, ups and downs. I had ankle surgery in December. So I redshirted my first year, but came back bigger and stronger. I think it was an important year for me because it allowed me to focus on you know, my academics and the schedule and being away from home and being away from everything I knew. Mm. But my junior year was, was the breakout year. Um, I was top, top five or six in the country in scoring. I averaged 20 points a game, broke all these records. Again, we had an amazing season. That's a nice sign for Hawaii. English, for three. Go! Get you back out to McIntyre. So... I was I was about to graduate, so I graduated that that semester, and I still had my year my senior year left. So I fast tracked because I kind of had this this vision of what what I wanted to do. So every summer I was doing fifteen to eighteen credits. I was online. I was doing doing the maximum every 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 course. Where most guys are doing their twelve, I was doing eighteen to twenty. Mm -hmm. So double the load. So for me. I thought it was time to enter the NBA draft. So I, I ended up going undrafted, um, horrible night, uh, flew up all my family, everybody were there. Um, devastating, probably the worst moment of my basketball career because, you know, here I am and I got the world at my fingertips and then I go undrafted. So not only did I lose millions of dollars in endorsements, I'm back at square one and like, it just crushed me. But I think everything I dealt with at an early age allowed me to, allowed me for these moments. It allowed me to, it allowed me now to understand that this is just basketball. You know, I'm alive I'm here, I'm healthy, what's next? So I woke up the next morning and I was like a savage. I was like, all right, time to go again, put my head down. I had this huge chip on my shoulder in a sense of I'm good enough to be here, right? Like what, what's, what's really going on? So all these teams were lining up, wanting me to go to summer league. And I'm like, 
why didn't you draft me? Right. So it was just all, it was just a bunch of events that happened. So then we go, we go to Indiana on a, a mini can that I was torching at this point. I'm, I, I'm, I'm so focused. I'm lasered in, I'm playing well right after the camp was over. The president talked to me and he was like, uh, Carl, we really like you. I said, listen, no offense. I was like, you should have drafted me. I said, I'm on my way to Minnesota. I said, I fly out this evening. I'm starting with them tomorrow. I said, I'm going to whoever wants me till I make it. And sure enough, Monday morning, he signed me to a two-year contract. There was partial guarantees. It wasn't a full thing, but it was over 50% on each year, which was the most money I've ever seen. Um, but then we went, in, we went into camp. Everything was going great. They made changes. They fired Isaiah Thomas, brought in Larry Bird. He brought in his own coach, Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle brought in four point guards. So we went from having 13 spots to having 17 guarantees. You can only have 14 on a team at the time. Mm -hmm. Like someone's got to go. And then also they signed Jermaine O'Neal to the multi-year max, which was 120 million, 120 million at the time. So then all these events, force things out and then it goes if you cut a guy that's making five million that you don't like well you got to pay 10 because it's double the luxury tax whereas me i'm at 500 well you're paying a million so it became down to dollars and cents and then once you get out it's real hard to get back in at those times so i was like let's go to europe let's see where it's at and we'll go we'll go from there i uh we did uh first year was in italy up and down second year was in croatia so, so then we, uh, in Croatia was amazing, uh, led that league in scoring and the Adriatic league. Uh, I went to Spain then I spent two years in Gran Canaria. Mm -hmm. Then I went to Victoria. We won a championship there. I had good offers to stay over there and continue, but my family was kind of, you know, they're after being because of the way the, the teams were changing. They were after spending the last year in between two places my kids were getting older and they were in school and they were enjoying where they were at. And I kind of, I kind of had the option. I brought it up at dinner one evening and you know, the kids kind of broke down and they're like, we don't want to go. And I was like, you know, it's really hard for me to go by myself at this point, you know, because I could focus, but it was really hard for, for Mandy to be here with the three kids. But then what really killed me was, it was hard for me to be away from everybody, you know, because now these are my kids and I'm like, they need me. I need to be there, you know. Mm -hmm. um, when I, they were here, there was support staff around, but, you know, I could lock out and focus that last year because I knew it was temporary. Like, I'd just go to the game and I'd lock out for those two hours and then every other moment of the day was wondering how my kids were and how my wife was doing and how everybody was. And it was very difficult to... I wasn't enjoying anything, you know what I mean? I was just, became really just a job that I wasn't enjoying. So we made the decision that the next year we were going to go as a family. And then this stuff came up with the edge and we were going back and forth. And I was in Greece training for six weeks. And if that team had to offer the contract, I was going to stay there. But again, um, it's all about passports and stuff, the way the European market works. So there you're only allowed two Americans and Canadian counts as American. So they were getting ready to sign me, but their big man got hurt in the warmups and towards ACL and all their focus then they needed that because I was filling a role. Basically their main star was a Greek guy. So he was battling some injuries. So the plan was, was for 
him to play and me to back him up in EuroLeague. And then I play all the Greek games until they were the big teams because the Greek league was a lot lower than EuroLeague. And I was fine for that because this was a powerhouse team and it was a beautiful, beautiful Athens. So I was like, this, this could be a great role because I was getting older and I really enjoyed wanting that role. I wanted that role actually. And it didn't follow through. So I was kind of like, I'm going to go home. And then I used that while I was there as leverage to negotiate here. So on a Wednesday, we decided to sign. I think the edge was at six, 700 tickets. By Friday, they're at 4,000. And then we go, we go then the, the buzz is starting to build right now. We're very, very excited. So I'm going to turn this over to the man that you want to talk to, Carl Uh First and foremost, I'd like to thank uh, Robert and ownership group, the edge. Uh, to make this possible. Um, so anyway, but it was it was a different it was a different level in the sense I came back home where it all started for me. My family get to see me play, which a lot of them didn't. My all my kids' friends, all my you know what I mean. My kids are at an older age where my son was coming down and warming up with us and in the locker room. So it had a whole different meaning, right? And again, I'm not gonna lie. I was I've played I played Kobe Bryant, LeBron. I've played everybody. And here I am nervous going into a game in Newfoundland in front of a sellout crowd. But what I tell people is, is I know or have seen probably 4,000 of these people or yes. somehow throughout the last 20 years, they've been an intrigue or part of my life or, you know, knew my story and knew my mom and dad or knew, you know what I mean? So it was, uh, it was a whole new level of accountability. So they play the PDD, I'm coming home song, places going up. They gave me like a standing O for like five minutes. And, you know, the, the guys on the other team was like, who the hell is this guy, right? So anyway, we go out and had a loud 18 in the first quarter, but I used all that energy being a clown, like, you know, yelling and screaming and, you know, just super. It was like that, this whole, this whole, it's like a bomb exploded, you know what I mean? So I took out all the energy inside my body and then struggled for the next couple, but got it back in the fourth quarter and we won. And then the following night, lit it up again for like 36 or something, but it was it was a loud 36 and the place was rocking and then we got in a little scrap. So, you know, Newfoundlanders love that. And, you know, that kind of that kind of rode then us through the season. And I felt that was... That's where it all, me coming back. So I added some flavor from Europe. So Europe is very, very fan orientated in the sense you're high five in the crowd. So we put that in. And then I'd always want to sign autographs after. I know athletes hate to sign autographs. It's just, you want to get on with your life. Like, so I come out a game. Some nights I'm bleeding. I'm out signing autographs for an hour, hour and a half because I know these kids have come from you know, the West Coast just to come in and see me play and mightn't get to see a game for the rest of the season. And I also knew that here's someone now that they can look at and say, he's from where I'm from. Mm -hmm. I'm from a small town. He got out. If I work extremely hard, I can be better than that guy. And that's kind of the message I was trying to sell. You know, there's so many great hockey stories through here. And now there's my story to say, okay, look what he's rose from. Look where he's came from. Nothing stopped him with a bit of hard work and dedication. I can be better than that guy. And that's kind of the message I like to say. So that's kind of like, that's kind of like everything in a nutshell. We're here with basketball star Carl English. When we come back, he'll talk about how his training helped him during his 17-year professional basketball career. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. We're here with basketball star Carl English. In this segment, he talks about the importance of training and getting over injuries to rehabilitation during his professional basketball career. You've rehabbed injuries, right? You've stayed healthy. I mean, you look 15 years younger than you are. Can we talk a little bit about what you did for training and how you took care of yourself as, you know, this is a wellness show, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, training for me, we're always, I always had to change the normal workout to get the level of competition. So the hardest part for me was when I came back here and probably my downfall, come back in here every summer. But coming, me coming back every summer allowed me to, to refresh, regroup, and then attack the next season. I always had options to go to Florida, to go to Miami, go to place, go to LA and train with the best. And, and sometimes that's when I look back on the NBA portion of it, that's probably what I should have done. But it also, for my mental health, my well-being, it allowed me to decompress because Europe is a grind. I mean, you practice in Europe. It's typically a weekend. If you're not playing two games, it's you play Saturday, you're off Sunday, you go two Monday, well, three actually, because you do weights with it, two basketball, one weights. You go two Tuesday, one Wednesday, three Thursday, two, two Friday game Saturday. So it, it really it really destroys your body in the sense of, okay, how can I keep to that peak? So my training was always, I always tried to stay in shape, but I, I'd, I'd stop the basketball for maybe a month if I could. And then it'd be a lot of cycling. It'd be a lot of running hills, swimming, just different things to refresh my body. The hardest part for me were the injuries and not necessarily the injury per se, but the way it got to, I always was very stupid in the sense of, and I did it again with the edge, and now I can't, I haven't ran, and nor would I be able to run in, since my last surgery last August 12th, so not this, a year ago, so it's over a year now, so 14 months ago, I had a reconstruct, well not, I had a scoping and a cleanup that would potentially was supposed to give me three more years to play ball, but I went into that surgery to just try to I was like, I don't care if I don't play at the high level again. I just, I want to chase my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to play with my kids. And, you know, it didn't turn out as planned because I played that season with the edge and I didn't want to miss anything. My last game with the edge, I tore muscle in my, in my leg, in my uh, quad. I think they said it was three centimeters long. And I was after busting my ankle in game two. I was on about 2,500 milligrams of ibuprofen, and I didn't even feel it. Wow. So I played the game, and then so I was going through, I don't know if you know Kevin Parfrey. Kevin Parfrey was working mm-hmm. on me after the game. And after we'd done the autographs and everything, it was about 12 o'clock, and he's flushing me out there. So I'm after doing all my – so I like to do my Normatec. I do my ice bath, top bath, just to get the blood flowing, cool down, stretch, massage. So I'm at the tail end of the recovery period that I do at my age. So he was trying to work, work, the work the blood out of my leg, you know, just what was it called? The, the flush was trying yeah. to flush my leg. And then he was coming to my quad where the tear was. And I said, man, don't, you can't touch it. I said, it's just throbbing. You know what I mean? He's like, well, what did you get hit? I was like, I can't remember getting hit, you know, but I was on, I was coming off the medicine was wearing mm-hmm. off. So I took, at, I took it at five for a six o'clock game. So the, the timing makes sense. So then it's coming. I was like, man, it's just throbbing. I was like, you got to stop. And anyway, we went and got to, in the morning I got up, I was like, man, this is messed up. So we went and that's a major tear in the top of your, your thing. Mm-hmm. But then I was just like, that's it. I'm, I'm done. In the sense of, so you got to think with the last, I've had 10 surgeries. I know. Yeah. Um, ankles are shot. The, the, the thing that, 
the I had the wrist, so I don't got full function. Uh, I tore tricep here, uh, AC collicular here. That's still <laughs> um, so the thing about that, which is crazy, is this is all on my shooting side. So the fact that I can still shoot is 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 incredible. And I had this elbow done as well. Uh, that ankle three times, that ankle once, my back, I herniated two discs in my back that shut down, probably my worst injury, mm -hmm. shut down my nerve in my leg. So my calf was fine, but my whole left leg, which is my jumping leg, my quad went to, to junk. Mm -hmm. and I literally couldn't sit. So I was there doing recovery and I couldn't sit and do five pounds on the leg extension. When I'd step, I'd fall. Yeah. You know I mean, so... I kept building the strength. I kept doing protocol. And then I went with team Canada and McKay, who's the Raptors doctor. He's like, Oh, you're, you know, Irish guy or whatever. He's like, you're, you're 10 months away. And I'm like, all right. So I was like, I didn't have the power there. So I make a move. And then when I go to put plant the second weight, my leg would buckle. So we kept rebuilding. We kept going through it, kept going through it. And I kept pushing. And then while I was going through that, I tore my tricep tendon and completely ruptured it. So this was this was six months, and then that allowed my leg to heal over that course of time. Mm. But the timing of that was so bad because I was coming off leading the ACB in scoring, which in the past 10 years, if you lead the ACB in scoring, you either sign a multi-million dollar contract or you go to the NBA, which is the same type, type of money. So the timing of those two were probably the worst of my career. So that was battling both of those, this surgery. Now I recovered well from that. So I used to, I still use, I don't know if I have it there, I'll show you. you have you heard of the FSM machine? I, no, I don't know if I have enough. Remember Terrell Owens blood yeah. when he came back really fast and everybody mm -hmm. was wondering what he was doing? He was on a bigger version of one of these and that's what made it popular. Is it electro current though? Is it something it, like that? Okay. They program it. So they go in and they put programs specifically for your body. So it can be neuros, it can be everything. Mm -hmm. So they dagger it to where it is. So they programmed it for certain, certain things. So what it does is increases the blood flow, tells them uh, something with the white and red cells increases one, slows down the other to increase the healing. Mm -hmm. So when I did my tricep, I should have been, this was almost an eight month till I was full speed. I was full speed after three months. When I saw the surgeon in, in Canada, he's up in Toronto, Almaragi, and he was like, not sure what you're doing, not sure how you're healing, the way you're healing. He's like, just keep doing whatever you're doing. Wow. So I was full speed and no one wanted to clear me because it was too fast. Yeah. So I've been using that for, so I, I've been using that for years on, on how to recover and how different things. So this was one of the main parts of me recovering. That with the Normatec. So I have the Normatec, which flushes my legs, you know, the Normatec recovery unit. And then your old normal stem, your ice. I don't use a lot of stem or ultrasound. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is manual manipulation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now the big, the big thing for me and the mistake I have, I feel you can always recover from most injuries. And a lot of times you're coming back stronger than ever. The problem that I always did is I did so much damage because I was coming back too fast or I was mm. playing through it. I played through it. So I always had that Newfoundland hockey mentality. If you don't continue to play, you're soft. Mm. Because that, like I ruptured four ligaments in my ankle on a playoff game on a Saturday. And we won the next one. And I tried to get ready for the following Saturday. So it was a three-game series. And I, I, it was all blown up. We were in Grand Canaria really good trainer, therapist there. We were doing six sessions a day to heal it. And I got to the point 
where so before the game I tried it, did a full workout, was ready to go, drugged up a little bit, and that whole week was crazy. But the coach, because I didn't practice the day before, didn't let me play, and we went on and lost. And I was like, man, I just put my body through hell. Like this is a multi-month injury, and I came back in six days. Yeah, you know what I mean, and you were not going to let me play. And anyway, we went out and lost by twenty, and. It is what it is, but those hey, it might have it might have been a good thing. You could have de- caused so much damage at that point. You never know. I had so much done at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. like, I went to see when I in 2010, I had ankle surgery at the end of the season, and I went to see the doctor who did Cristiano Ronaldo's in mm. So when I went there, you know, couldn't this this doctor didn't even have a cell phone. We were told to meet at a certain point at this place on a campus, and we just showed up. The guy walks in, scraggly looking guy but does all the soccer players, does all the elite basketball mm-hmm. players in Europe. <clears throat> so he's like, this, 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 he goes through it. And he's like, I can fix it. It's no problem. But he said, the reason you're still playing is because of these things. And he grabbed onto my calves. Like, the calves are so strong. He's like, I can fix this. But he said, you're only going to blow it out again in a month's time. So he said, just correct it with tape and keep going. No way. <laughs> At least he was honest. This was honest, but anyway, I went and done that corrective surgery because I got injured the following year when I fell on the wrist. The rest was just mm. a freak accident. My legs were taken out and I went to catch myself. And the funny story with this is I went five weeks playing with this. So they did the MRI and nothing showed. So I would take this up, lock it up like this. And the day before the game, I'd, or the day the game, I'd let it loose. So it wouldn't shoot. I ran off in those five games. This is why I tell you mental is so strong in every sport. In those five games, I averaged 30 points. I was MVP for four of the five weeks and was MVP of the month. And then I was taking a small dose of ibuprofen. Because I don't take a lot, ibuprofen has a major effect on me, yeah. sense of pain relief and stuff. And I fell again in that game on the fifth week. We went to get an MRI on our Saturday. We were playing again on Sunday, but this time they used contrast. And when they seen it, I was after a rupture in the tendon there. And they said I had to go in for emergency surgery because it's been five weeks. And after six weeks, you lose the tendon for good. Oh, my so gosh. I went in on Saturday, saw the doctor. On Monday, had surgery to save the tendon. But then that just, like, that was another MVP season I was having. And I was having all this NBA interest. And then once I hurt the wrist, everyone's kind of like, oh, what's the shooting wrist? He's, he's kind of done. So then I went and done, when I went in for the wrist, I'd done the ankle as well, because that same mm-hmm. season, I failed the MRI, I failed the medical, because my ankle had so much damage. But here I am, 360 and I'm off yeah. that ankle. So then yeah. I, went in, I went in and got the ankle corrected. Obviously, this is a medical show. I went in and got the ankle corrected. They used the donor ligament about that long. I think we paid $2,500 for the, for the donor ligament. So they did a figure eight and a heel lock with this one ligament. Like a tape job. Yes. So the ligament, <laughs> the ligament replaced two or three ligaments. That's how long it was. When they attached it, weaved up, back around and around. So one ligament replaced the others, and they cleaned up the ankle, shaved down the bone. But the surgery was successful, but I never was the same since. Mm. So on a medical, on an MRI, I failed but I felt great. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. So I know the, exactly. Yep. From the medical standpoint, yeah, we go in and clean it up and it's technically supposed to look better, but your body has a way of compensating your body. Like I was growing these osteophytes, but the osteophytes were stopping me from going so far and was allowing me to function properly. When they cleaned up all the osteophytes, I had full movement 
but then it was bone on bone because all the cartilage was damaged. Right. So Your body was, was creating an adaptation on its own. Exactly. So, wow. you know, I go in and I get corrected and these best surgeries in the, in Europe. And like, I've always had my surgeries done in Toronto. Like, you know, you're seeing all these crazy doctors and everybody has a, a way, Oh, we're going to fix you. We're going to do this. But in the end, the hum human body has a way of working it out. Yeah. And I, I corrected it for the medical way. I never came out the same. Now. Well, there's one message that, you know, that comes out on your rehab side of things is if somebody gets an acre of pain, you're obviously able to fix it and carry on and get back to normal and yeah. have another MVP season. So, you know, but a lot of people use an injury as a chance to identify as that. And that's their excuse out for whether it be anything, sports, work, life, anything. So, you know, there is something we heard about your intestinal fortitude. For sure. Yeah. Well, okay. well, you're still doing a ton of good stuff, especially with all the basketball you have. You've started a new business. Yes. And uh, tell me about your, your new camp because it looks amazing. Um, we got the, the old Max down on St. Clair's and redone that. Brought in four, four hoops, four portable hoops. Um, redone the floor, custom logos everywhere. And the stage area is uh, like a dry land, just plyometrics, sled pushes, fan bikes, uh, rope rows, plyometrics, um, and now just teaching kids, just trying to teach kids the game of basketball, um, healthy living, healthy lifestyle, uh, have some great coaches there, great staff, and you know, it's, even in the mix of a pandemic, it's, uh, it's good because I feel, I, two things, everybody, yes, I know COVID is deadly, and I know COVID is crazy, but when we bottle up kids and even adults for a long period of time, I think we have to think of the mental health issues now. Mm -hmm. That because I'm the test to say that basketball was a huge part of my life, and a huge part of my life, and like I said, saved me. So I'm sure a lot of kids out there, you know, use sport and use activity to express themselves. You know, so I, I got them back playing. Um, we run, uh, we got six teams in the high school league as well. And the best part about that is on Friday night from 5:30 to 10 o'clock, all those kids are off the street. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that as well. And, you know, basketball is a huge part of mine and it's bringing a lot of joy to a lot of people. So the, uh, the kids range in, and how does it actually work? So say somebody wants to go to the academy. Um, you've got all different age groups, obviously, but uh, so how does the format so work? You can go in on my application, CE23, or you can go on my website, uh, CE23basketball.com. And you can, it's ranges from K to two is one group. Then we have boys and girls, uh, U10. Boys and girls, U12. Then we have an elite team that's already picked, but there's an elite training pod as well. So kids that still want to play basketball and play with other schools. And then we have an under 16 and under 18. And right now we have a, a boys high school league. I offered that to the girls, but they weren't interested. We're still trying to do more things and more programming. So those, uh, those first four programs are coming to an end here in December. But our new program will come out for January here now in the next couple of weeks. That's great. And if part of that, they not only play basketball, but they, they do skills, they yeah. do training and you coach them on lifestyle as well. And, and all the yeah. other aspects of basketball that are important. Yeah, we do. We do both. So we teach a lot, we do a lot with their movements, a lot with, you know, the mechanics and just the physical activity part of it. Uh, plyometrics, no matter if it's just basketball. So one of my groups there, the training pod got probably 70% hockey players in it. Mm -hmm. They're enjoying it because they get to play another sport. And also the dry land or plyometric training is great for any sport. So it's, it's just a place to come out, be active and, and get after it. Good. Most important question of the interview is if I come down, will I be able to dunk? 
No. No. <laughs> I guess you can. You'll be like, see, so I'll put the rim down. To, I, was, I knew you were going to Perfect. Yeah. Well, it's all good. As long as we take the right angle, then we can't yeah. see that I'm not close to the ground. No, that's great, Carl. Um, I think that's important. You've been exposed to so many people. That's another thing. Besides your basketball experience, you've been exposed to some of the best coaches out there, the best trainers out there, uh, yeah. the best rehab out there. And I think that's something that's really valuable for the kids. What do you hope this adds to basketball in Newfoundland? Um, I hope it's a place where, you know, I think along my road, I've met so many people and I've learned from some of the best. So if I can teach these techniques and, and qualities that I've learned both on and off the court, I think it'll make them well-rounded athletes. But I also feel there's a level of standard we need to, we need to add there. Um, I feel over the last 20 years, because of the structure and the way things are going, a lot of the best coaches back then were, were gym teachers and were teachers themselves. That kind of structure is out, and now it's coming along on the private side of things where, you know, now you're paying for the service. So it's a catch-22 with that, and I battle the same thing. It's, yes, you want the kids to have fun, but then there's a level of eliteness you want to get there, but then you also, it's a business, so you're trying to run the business side of things. So for me, I want to focus on, yes, you're having fun. Yes, you're being active. Yes, but then there's also programs if you want to try to take it to the next level. And then all the people that I know across the world I hope I can reach out to them and work with these people to help these kids reach their maximum potential. And that's kind of the goal. Undoubtedly, there will be another Carl English that comes up as a result of, of people like you mentoring and teaching, but a lot of kids won't make pro. Uh, but what do you hope they gain for life? Because it sounds as though basketball has done just as much for your professional career as it is for your personal. Yes, I, I think it's, it's my goal is, yes, not everybody's going to be Carl English, but yes, I feel you can still be better than me or, you know, the Danny Clary's and the, you know, now we got the Dawson Mercer's of the world and Ryan Clark, like the, these athletes are there, but it's, it's all in perspective. If I can teach a kid the game of basketball, fall in love with the game of basketball and, you know, it becomes a huge part of them and keeps them out of trouble and keeps them accountable, teach them how to be a teammate and how to play a role. Well, that's going to affect their life and their job after that. And if they're playing men's league at 25 because falling in love with basketball at my camp, great. If they go on to play CIS Memorial or, you know, somewhere across Canada, great. If then they turn and try to play pro with it, it becomes a lifestyle. Amazing. So it's all about trying to get the maximum potential out of that person. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's, it's what's God given. You know, when you're, when you're in Toronto and you're in the States and you can pick from millions of people, you know, you can go and genetically say, well, that guy, let's teach him the game, you know, because he got all the genetic aspects and his feed, fast, exposure, power, everything. Mm -hmm. So now for that, it's more so, you know, trying to work with what we have mm -hmm. and to get the best version of that person possible, whether that's in lifestyle, whether that's for basketball, hockey. I think that should be our goal as educators. That should be our goal as coaches is did we get the maximum out of subject A? Mm -hmm. Because subject A, B, and C are all different. Mm -hmm. you know? And so can we get the maximum ability out of him or out of her? And that should be our goal because LeBron James is LeBron James. He's a right. physical specimen. Yeah. I can't, you can't teach me to be LeBron James. It's just not possible. You know <laughs> what I mean? But you can try to get the maximum that I can get out of Mike or the maximum I can get out of Carl if we, if we teach it and, and train him correctly. And that's, that's right. my goal. 
and listen, basketball is a sport you can play your whole life. You can play in a rec league later on. During COVID, I went to the, the, the local courts and would shoot some hoops here and there. It's something yeah. you can have. You might not be doing 360 windmills anymore, yeah, but right. at the same time, it's something you can, you can take with you. And I think that health literacy is important for adults that you can pick up a ball at 40 years old and, and still shoot some hoops to get activity. And, and that's really the kind of love you're going to teach kids. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, that's yeah. the plan. Anything uh, you want to leave folks with as we, uh, as we exit the show? No, just uh, thanks for all the support for me. It's been a bit amazing to come home. Um, don't be shy if you see me out and about. I mean, I, I love to say hi. I think uh, COVID has made everybody, like, ooh, I'm afraid. You know what I mean? Everybody's going with a mask. It's a very difficult time right now. I feel um, stay safe as possible, but also don't get away from our Newfoundland roots of being, you know, being friendly and, and being the people we are. And that's why people love us. So yeah. don't let, and again, if you're concerned about it, obviously keep your distance and different things. But you know, again, thanks for all the support. I truly appreciate it for me and my family. And, you know, stay, hack, stay active and stay healthy because I think the healthy aspect of life is so good for everything else. I mean, it's great for our mental health and that right now coming into eight months of winter, we need to stay active as possible. Exactly. Well, Newfoundland couldn't ask for a better advocate for, for health and for basketball. And it's all well-deserved, Carl. You're a great guy and you've always awesome. been, you, it's well-deserved. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome, buddy. Thank you.